Amen, amen. Grab a seat and as you do, get a Bible in front of you to Acts chapter 28. And if you need a Bible, there's one under a seat nearby. And um, as you open that Bible to the book of Acts, you will notice that the end of the journey is on the pages before you as we uh, spend time in the very last chapter of the book of Acts. And as you look at the end of this book before you, this has been a 10-month journey. If you're just joining us, we've been in the book of Acts for 10 months, and um, God has done a great work through his word in the life of our church. But I just want to give you a heads up on where we're going in the days ahead so you know what is coming. Um, because this has been such a uh, long, in-depth journey, I want to make sure over the next couple of weeks we don't don't just uh, close the book today and then on to the next series. The next couple weeks, uh, two weeks, um, we're going to just be focusing on what, are the, what do we take away? What do we walk away with as a church from 10 months of a study in the book of Acts? And so um, we're going to kind of zoom out um, each week. We open to a passage of Acts. We zoom in. And uh, over the next two, we're going to zoom out. We're going to say, what are some of the recurring themes God has taught us through this book? And what do we need to walk away with uh, for our life and for our church? now. And so that's where we're going in the weeks to come. Then we'll celebrate Christmas together. Uh, but then I want to make you uh, uh, known of where we're going uh, as 2019 begins. The very first Sunday of 2019, we begin a series called 316. And uh, anyone know where we might have gotten that uh, from? Um, 316. And uh, five weeks, five weeks on one verse. Yes, five weeks on one verse. Um, as the first week, we're going to walk through the entire conversation in which we find John 3.16, a conversation between Jesus and a Pharisee named Nicodemus. And the first week, we will walk through the entire con conversation so we know where John 3.16 appears in its context. And then the four weeks after that are phrase by phrase picking a part of this very famous, well-known verse. Uh, what does it mean that God so loved the world? Who is God? And what does it mean that he loves and who is the world that he loves? And uh, then the next week that he gave his only son. Who's the son? And what's the relationship between the father and the son? And why in the world did the father give the son? And we're just going to go phrase by phrase through this to start 2019. And here's what I tell you. Um, if you have someone in your life who's right on the fence of following Jesus, I would highly encourage you to invite them to this series. Uh, if you have someone in your life who's not on the fence and they are far away from the fence, I would highly encourage you as 2019 begins to just, just say, what, what would it hurt you? What would it hurt you to just give five weeks to the beginning of a year to come and hear the, uh, taught this, this verse that you have heard and you've seen the signs at athletic events? Um, what if John 3.16 has massive implication for your life? And I would really encourage you to take the opportunity as we begin this series in the new year uh, to invite some people to the teaching and unpacking of what John 3.16 means for their life. Um, so that's where we're going as the year Begins, and I will say this, especially to our first service crowd, as we invite people with us to this series, um, if you look around here, first service is packed, and it has been for a long time, and we've talked to you about uh, the need, it looks like, in 2019 to go to three services, and um, I would just encourage you, I know some of us who come to first service, this is the service we have to come to uh, because of the way our family schedule works or whatnot, but I will tell you, second service, there's a few more seats available. And so if as you invite people with you, if you're like, we don't have to be first service people, uh, there may be uh, more room for you and the people you 
inviting with you to join us in second service. And um, um, just wanted to make y'all first service. I love you first servicers. Getting up in the morning, getting after it in the word. Uh, but just so you know, um, there's, there are a few more seats in second service. So as you think about that and who you're inviting with you, uh, just make note of that. Acts chapter 28. I, I long, and I, I think you will too, I long to have the purpose of my life so crystal clear that it doesn't matter what season I find life in or what circumstances I come across or what place I'm in, I know emphatically what God has called me to do. What I mean by that is I I would long to have God's purpose for my life so clear um, that when I find myself in places and in seasons that are just good and fun and great, God, I know what you've called me to do. And when I find myself in seasons that are the opposite of all those things I just listed, it's okay, God, I know what you've called me to do. I want to highlight from the very last chapter of the book of Acts two seasons in specific where um, I think having God's purpose for our life and what he's called us to very clear will be very helpful. And I'm calling these seasons seasons of being stranded and seasons of being stuck. And you're like, aren't those two of the same things? Uh, What what do I mean by seasons of being stranded? uh, Seasons where we're stranded can be frustrating seasons because um, when we're stranded, we're not where we once were. And yet we're not where we know God has called us to get. God has made clear to us a a vision, a passion he's put on our heart. He's made clear to us what he's called us to do one day. And yet for some reason he has not allowed us to be there yet. I think of the recent, uh, as an example of Stranded Seasons, the recent college graduate who thought the degree would immediately lead to the dream job. And instead the degree has led back into mom and dad's basement picking up more hours at the restaurant that he worked in high school while he waits for what he knows God has called him to down the road and the, the, the passion and the calling that God has on his life. These are seasons of stranded. Then there's seasons where we're just flat out stuck. And seasons where we're stuck can be even more frustrating because, yes, it's stranded, but it's stranded with no vision of where God has called me to get and what God has called me to do. We're just stuck where we are. And we're begging, God, is this what you have? And is this what you want? And what I need a vision. I need some clarity to what you're calling me to in the days ahead. And I bring this up because literally, literally, not a figurative picture, literally, in the very last chapter of the book of Acts, Paul is both stranded and he's stuck. He's stranded on an island. You remember Pastor Joe, what he preached to us last week, this boat that's taking Paul from Judea to Rome uh, gets shipwrecked. And 200, what's it say, uh, 276 people um, uh, go down with this boat and some swim over to this island and some ride pieces of the broken boat over to the island, but all of them get on this island and we find Paul literally stranded on an island between Judea and between where he knows God has called him to go and testify to the gospel, that of Rome. And we just got asked the question, what does Paul do while he's stranded? And then when we're going to see Paul get to Rome, and when he gets to Rome, he's 
under Roman guard the entire time he's there. He's stuck under Roman guard. What does Paul do while he's stuck? And the answer to both of these is the same thing. He does the same thing in both these places. And I believe for Paul, he goes, it it doesn't matter that I'm stranded on an island in the middle of Judea and Rome. I know what God's called me to do. And it doesn't matter that I'm stuck under Roman guard here. No, I know what God's called me to do. The call of his life was so clear. It didn't matter if he found himself in a season of being stranded or a season of being stuck. I want that kind of clarity for us so that no matter whatever circumstance or season we find ourselves in, we can go, yeah, it doesn't change what God has called me to do. That's what I believe Acts 28 teaches us today. So let's pray and ask God's help that his spirit would enlighten his word to us as we study it this morning. Father, I do ask for help now that your spirit would shine a lot of light, Lord, on what we're going to study here today. God, that the power of your word would just be lifted up. Lord, that uh, the preaching of your word would not be with the plausible words of the wisdom of man, but in the demonstration of the spirit and power. So that faith rests not, Lord, on words coming out of the mouth of man, but on the very word of God. God, I pray uh, for your manifest presence with us and power that your word would do the miracle that only your word can do of being driven like a sword right into our heart in such a way that we're changed, we're changed, we're changed. And so, God, would you meet with us now as we study your word here today, and would you speak to us through your word in Jesus' name, amen. Acts 28, verse 1. After we were brought safely through, uh, meaning the ship's gone down, we've swum, swam, however you say that, to the island, we've ridden debris to the island. After we have been brought safely through, we then learned that the island was called Malta. The native people showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and welcomed us all because it had begun to rain and was cold. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. This is a bad day. When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer. Though he has escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. So uh, get there, okay? Just get there, get on the island right now in your head. The Apostle Paul, every city he went to was ridiculed. He was beaten. There's assassination attempts on his life. This guy has already, from the day Jesus Christ has called him to himself, lived an extremely hard life that we can't even fathom. He's then arrested. He's been uh, in custody for a couple years. Um, He can't get released from this. He gets on a boat to go to Rome where God has called him to testify to the gospel there. Uh, That boat gets shipwrecked. He floats on a piece of the boat to an island or he swims to an island. They're kindling a fire so they can get warm and dry. He's carrying a bundle of sticks when a viper comes out and bites his hand. Seriously? 
I mean, I thought about bringing this to life and having the snake out here, but I, I didn't want us to get the reputation of the church that brings the snakes out. But, I mean, just you're carrying a bundle of sticks bitten by a snake, not like a garter snake, a viper. And it says, I love this picture, he, sh- he shook the creature off into the fire. So just picture him. The snake's just in all the native people are like, oh, he dead. He gone. He must have been a murderer. Justice. Justice like rescued him from the sea, but only so that uh, justice could bring him over here to get bit by a snake and die from a snake bite. And he shakes it off into the fire and all the people are there like, set your watch. We know how this goes. He's got about 30 minutes, and 30 minutes later, like, no, not, not even, like, he's not swelling up. He's not getting red. He's not sweating. He's not breathing hard. Uh, nothing. <laughs> the protection of capital G, God, over Paul, that leads these native people to, to, to ascribe to him a lowercase g, God, status. They're like, this guy must be a God. Now, If I was Paul, okay, I'm just going to be honest with you. If I was Paul, after all that I've been through the last couple of years doing ministry in the name of Jesus, after a shipwreck, after, like, God, thank you. Thank you for sparing me. I'm on dry ground. Thank you. There's a fire here. And these, these natives have been kind to us and then bit by a snake. Can I just tell you what I would have done with the three months stranded on an island? Nothing. I would have kicked my feet up and I would have chilled and I would have put a sign outside of the hut I was living in, closed for ministry. And I would have told the Lord, Lord, you said that you're sending me to Rome to testify to the gospel there, but you never said anything about a shipwreck and being stuck on an island for three months. And so, Lord, I'm chalking this up to you just wanting me to chill and relax and do nothing for three months. But if you know the Apostle Paul, what's he going to do on this island? He's going to minister to the people. Look at what happens Verse 7 it says, Now in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the chief man of the island named Publius, who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. It happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery. And Paul visited him, and what did he do? And he what? And he prayed, and what else? And putting his hands on him, healed him. The chief man on the island, wait, hold on, your dad's sick? Can I visit? And he visits the chief's dad, and he's praying for him, and he lays his hands on him, and he heals him. Now, what's going to happen across the island? You don't even need to read on to know what's about to happen. Here we go. All of the sick, here they come. And when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. 
And they also honored us greatly. And when we were about to sail, they put on board whatever we needed. I just want to stop, and I don't want to read too much into this, but I don't want to miss the fact of what's happening here on this island. Paul knows he's en route to get to Rome. God has made clear through his spirit what he's supposed to do in Rome. But here he is, literally stranded on an island south of Italy. He's not in Rome yet, and yet there's something as he's with these natives on this island where Paul's not like, I'm, I'm, I'm just stranded here. I wonder what I'm supposed to do. I, I mean, I'm not in Rome yet. I'm just going to kind of kick my feet up. No, he knows there's people here to be ministered to. And God put a call on my life that was very clear that I would take the gospel to the Gentiles that I'd take the gospel to places that the gospel is not known. And so when an opportunity came up to tangibly show the love of Jesus through the healing of the chief man's dad and the healing of everyone on this island with diseases, Paul's like, I'm in, Lord, use me. To say it like this, and I hope not to overstep, but to pull out a principle that 2,000 years later will live for us, and you're going, what in the world can you possibly pull out of? I don't plan on being shipwrecked between Judea and Rome, bit by a snake, and on an island with natives. What is in here for us? Say it like this. When I'm stranded somewhere I didn't plan to be, here it is, I'll minister to people. When I'm stranded somewhere I didn't plan to be, what do we do? I'll minister to people. What do we mean by minister? Minister can be such a churchy word. It can be like, you know, you're a minister, but I'm not a minister. What do we mean, minister? Here's what we mean by the word minister. When we're stranded somewhere that we didn't plan to be in life, we have to look around and we see that there's people who are also in this place with us. And to minister to them means this, that we would tangibly show them the love of Jesus with our life. And we would speak the love of Jesus into their life with the sharing of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And so for, think about how freeing this is. Think about how encouraging this is. If right now you feel like you're stranded in some job that's just a bridge to where you really want to be, are you working that job with other people? And if so, those are people to demonstrate and declare the love of Jesus to. If, if you're stranded in a place, you're going, we're not going to live in this apartment very long. This is just bridging the gap from where it was the sale of our house back here and uh, what we're looking to build over here. Are you living in that apartment place right with people right now? If so, these are people God is calling you in this season to demonstrate the love of Jesus to and declare the love of Jesus to. You're almost done with school and you're going, I don't want to build two greater relationships because this is just a season. I'm on to the next season next. You're with people right now that God is calling you to demonstrate the love of Jesus to and declare the love of Jesus to. So think about this. In seasons where, to use the word we're using, we feel stranded, meaning we aren't where we were and we're not yet where we think God is calling us to go. The great lie and the great temptation is I'll start doing ministry when I get there. I'll start doing ministry when I get there. I'll start trying to build relationships with people and show people the love of Jesus and share the gospel with people. Um, we have to understand something, though. If God is sovereign, 
And he sovereignly has us in a place for a season right now. How do we make the most of the place and the season that God has us and the people he has us around right now? You know this. We are so wired as people to always kind of be thinking about next, what's what's next out there and next, and when I'm there and when I'm with those people and when I'm doing that thing, and God says, cool, yes, you see clearly where I'm calling you. Your eyes are up. It's a good thing. Now lower your eyes and look into the eyes of the people I have you with right here, right now, and love them. And I love that Paul here with these natives On an island of Malta, after a shipwreck, the Spirit has told him nothing about that this is going to happen. He knows that he's ultimately going to go to Rome. He's only got three months here, and yet what's he do? He says, bring to me me all of the sick on this island. I believe God can heal them. Let me demonstrate the love of Jesus before you right here. And I'm just trusting the Spirit to apply this appropriately to us in the room who go, yeah, 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 I'm high. Definitely in a stranded season right now. Between things. That's how we say it, right? I'm I'm between jobs. We're between houses. We're between places. In the between, lower the eyes. Look in the eyes of people. And give your life to demonstrating and declaring the love of Jesus to them. And here's the deal. Yeah, but when's God going to, you know, when's, when's the boat going to come and when I'm getting to Rome? When, when's the, I know where God's calling me to. Listen, he, he knows where to find you. And he knows when to move you on. Like, do we believe that? He knows where to find you and he knows when to move you on. How long am I going to work the job I worked in high school until you let me actually use the degree? I went, um, he knows. He knows where to find you. And he knows when to move you on. And Paul here on Malta demonstrates the love of Jesus to these people tangibly, physically, in a great way. And then verse 11 comes and Verse 11 through verses 16 are basically the travel itinerary of uh, when they get off the island and they sail north and where they port to get to the city of Rome. And I want you to look at what it says in verse 16. It Paul's finally in Rome. It says, And when we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. And so kind of get a feel for what Paul's quote-unquote house arrest is like in this season. He's finally in Rome. He's allowed to stay by himself. We're going to see here coming up. He's allowed to have visitors, and yet there's a, there's always Bubba the guard there with you. And what does Paul do now? Um, remember, he knows that God has sovereignly brought him to Rome. God has made clear, as I've said throughout this, that he's to witness in Rome. Does Paul just say, but I'm stuck, I'm stuck under guard in this place I'm living. When, hey, when I'm not under guard, when I get out, then I'll really start doing ministry to testify the gospel in Rome. That's not what Paul does. While he's stuck right here in Roman imprisonment, look how he lives. Verse 17. It says, after three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews, and when they had gathered, he said to them, brothers, 
Though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. And they said to him, We've received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you, but we desire to hear from you what your views are, for with regard to this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. Open door. Uh, they said, yeah, we've kind of heard of this thing, but like no one, like no word has reached us of people speaking extremely ill against you. And so we want to hear you. We, we've heard about this from a distance. We want to hear what you have to say about this. And Paul says, I'm in on that. When, verse 23, when they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. Now look at this. From morning till when? From morning till evening. All day. What did he do? He expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus both from the law of Moses and from the prophet. So get this now. You show up to Paul wherever he's staying, and there's Paul and there's Bubba the guard, and, and these, these Jewish leaders gather in this place, and it says from morning to evening, he expounds to them the, the, what, the, what the law and the prophets are. So he's like, okay, yeah, now, now look at this. Turn to, uh, turn to the book, turn to Deuter Deuteronomy. Do you see this? And this is foreshadowing the coming of Christ. Now turn to this. Turn to this prophet. Turn to this prophet. Turn to Isaiah. Now look at this. Look at what this says. Who is that? This is this Jesus I'm telling you about. This goes on from morning to evening. Scriptures open. They knew the scriptures. And he is just laying out for them how Jesus is the fulfillment of everything the law and the prophets had spoken of. And what's going to happen just like we've seen in every other city. Verse 24. It says, And some were convinced by what he said, but others what? But others disbelieved. It's the same pattern we've followed Paul in every city that he's gone and proclaimed the gospel. Gospel goes out. Some believe and some disbelieve. And that disbelief usually causes confusion and chaos to break out. Verse 25, and disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. So there's one statement that Paul makes that just kind of ends the night. And they're just like, yeah, 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 we've, we've heard enough on this. What does he say? The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet. Now hear, hear him quote this prophecy from Isaiah and understand why these Jewish leaders would have been a little ticked off about why he's applying that to them here. Go to this people and say, you will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull. And with their ears, they can barely hear. 
and, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. So let's talk about the history of this prophecy right here. We find it first in the book of Isaiah. The Lord has come and he said, um, um, you're going to speak to these people, but here's the deal, Isaiah. Um, they're going to hear you, but they ain't going to hear you. Like you will never get across. This message will never sink into their hearts. And then Jesus comes on the scene. And in his rebuking of kind of the religious leaders of the day, he says a similar thing. It's like they have ears, but they can't hear this. They can't see this. Their heart is dull. And now here's Paul under Roman guard with the Jewish leaders of the area in his living cell area. And he just says, here's the deal. Um, for those of you who disbelieve, like, you have ears, but you can't hear this. And your hearts are dull. And that kind of ends the night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it says they walk out disagreeing with each other, though there were some who believed. Now, verse 28, Paul finishes what he's saying here to these Jewish leaders. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to who? The apostle to the Gentiles. This salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. Paul does in Rome what he's done throughout his ministry. He first witnesses to the Jews. Many of them reject this message, and he says, here's the deal. This good news of the salvation of, through Jesus Christ, it's good news for the Gentiles too, and I'm going to go share this good news message with the Gentiles here in Rome, and here's the deal. Many of them, they're going to listen. They're going to listen. He lived there, 30. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching them and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all, what's the word? With all boldness and without hindrance. Done? Like, and then, and then the book of Acts is done. And it ends right there. Like, and, and, and Paul is in his house arrest in Rome, and for two years at his own expense, people are coming to them, and as people come to them, he proclaims the kingdom of God. He proclaims the gospel of Jesus, the good news that there's hope for salvation with all, what's the word? Boldness, and without hindrance. And then the book of Acts finishes right here. And yet I think it's such a fitting finish. And I think Luke is intentional. The writer of Acts, Luke, is intentional with these words that he closes the book with. Proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. All the way back to Acts 1.8, the thesis verse of this entire book of Acts. It says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of 
the earth. Folks, think of what we have just witnessed over the last 10 months of how God fulfilled that exact thing. Power through his spirit to indwell his people, to give them boldness to proclaim this message of the kingdom without hindrance. And this is what we've witnessed. And so while Paul is stuck under guard in Rome, what does he do? He witnesses to the gospel of Jesus Christ to every single person God sends into his living area. And secondly, and lastly, I want to leave us with this. When I'm stuck somewhere I don't want to be, what do we do? I'm a minister to people. Would Paul have rather gotten to Rome and been free to go and down to wherever and minister the gospel openly in the open air? Of course he would. But instead he's stuck under house arrest in Rome. And as, as people come to him, what does he do? He just says, Lord, I just trust that as you bring people, I'm going to minister to them this message that you are building a kingdom and the good news of the gospel of Jesus. He's stuck somewhere he didn't necessarily want to be. But here's the deal. Um, when we understand that the message of the book of Acts continues to today, that we have such a clear purpose for our life, and that is disciples made to the glory of Jesus Christ. It allows us in seasons of where we're stranded and we go, yeah, I'd rather be out there, but God's not brought that about, or in seasons where we're just stuck. I'm working a dead-end job. I don't want to live here. I don't want this. I don't want whatever it is. Um, we know what God has called us to do. It's okay. It's okay. Love the people right here. Make disciples of Jesus Christ to the glory of God. And when I want to move you on from this, I'll move you on from this. When I want to get you off the island, I'll get you off the island. When I want, after two years, when I want to get you out of this, being under Roman guard, I'll get you out of Roman guard. But for the meantime, right here, right now, right where you are, make disciples for the glory of God. Amen? Say it like this. Very simply. What's today's message about? It's this. God wants me to minister right where he has me. And I'm praying for those of you in the room <clears throat> who are dreading the alarm clock going off tomorrow morning because you, you hate where you work. And I'm praying for those of us in the room who would give anything to kind of get to another season to fast forward through this one and get ultimately where you're wanting to get to. And I'm just praying that God might use this to say, as we look at the Apostle Paul's life, the healing of the people on Malta, as we look at his faithfulness under guard in Rome to just declare the gospel of the kingdom, that we would just look and say, you know what? His purpose and his call for my life is so clear. It doesn't matter what circumstance or season I find myself in. I know what I'm called to do. Demonstrate and declare the love of Jesus so that disciples are made to the glory of God. When Jesus' followers live that out, we are the radically weird people that he's called us to be. When Jesus' followers understand their purpose so clearly and so convictionally that it transcends any circumstance or season we're in, the Lord smiles down on that and says, yes, 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 you get why I've placed you on this earth, that we would see this and be taught by this. And wherever God has us right now, we would just minister the gospel of grace to the people he has us there.
Now, I'm so thrilled that a really special guest to our ministry is here on the very last day we teach um, out of the book of Acts. Because I think this is such a powerful example that just as we have seen the glory of God go forth through disciples being made in the life of the early church, um, I want us to understand something, and I just said it a few minutes ago. This, this work that God is doing to make disciples that will bring him glory and to build his church, guess what? It's still going on. Disciples are still being made to the glory of God, and the church is still growing and flourishing to see disciples made in the Great Commission fulfilled across the earth. And now, um, we are a church-planting church. We believe every church scripturally is called to be a church-planting church. And so um, it's just exciting for me that um, one of the church planters that we get to partner with is here with us today. And um, I, um, I'm excited to introduce you to him and to the work that he is going to be doing in downtown Denver. And so uh, if you would, uh, from the south side of Indianapolis, if you would welcome C.B. Bartholomew up to the stage with me as he begins his work in Denver. Welcome to Indy, man. Thank you. C, uh, CB got to town this week and spent the week with us. And uh, what you, many of you probably don't know is that Pastor Joe and one of our elders, Dan Parrott, uh, have worked very closely with CB. Uh, Pastor Joe has been training CB um, for the planting of his church, uh, downtown Denver. And uh, so he came out this week and spent the week with us here. And um, he sent me a little video message when he got here. You said you were lost in a cornfield, right? And, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I'm little, only used to concrete and buildings, that's so I right. have no idea where I was. Little different. For four uh, days. Li- I don't even know yeah. where I'm at now. Yeah, I said, what, what cornfield, right? And uh, man, it's been just a joy to have you out here and would love for you to just share with our people a little bit about you and your family and the work God has called you to yeah. in Denver. Yeah, you bet. Um, you have an amazing pastor. I know you know that. He said, he said, I'm going to have you come up and, and talk after I talk. And then I heard him talk, and I was like, I don't need to talk. That's good enough. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm a church planner, but um, I was a drug addict for 10 years. Um, crystal meth. I lived on the street of Denver. Um, I lost a wife, a house, a car, kids, everything. And um, I was a total shipwreck. It's just fitting that we tell that story today. That was... That was me, and there was a point in my life where all I had was broken pieces, and um, if you've ever been there, I just stood at the throne of God, and I just gathered up my pieces, and I was like, well, this is all I have. You can have it if you want it, and, um, and God set it on fire, and our church is called Beacon for that very reason. Um, a quick story. The first beacons uh, that mariners used to help people find their way from port to port were built not out of planning, but out of necessity. They would gather the broken shipwreck pieces, bring them to the top of a hill, and set them on fire. And that's a picture of our church. Just a group of people who don't have much left, but are willing to give it to God. And so we call our church the beacon because we're the beacons built with broken pieces, shining the light to Jesus in a dark, dark city. Denver is um, 
is the city on the hill. It's called the Mile High City. Um, it's a beautiful city that's covered in darkness. We have tremendous witchcraft, the largest gay pride parade in the country. Um, Wicca and KKK still have a very firm grasp. As you know, marijuana is legal there. We have more breweries than any other city in the world. Um, and, and since the inception of the city, there's never been a church in the heart of the city to hold any territory. And I believe that God let me die in that city to send me back to that city, to take it back for him. And so we're going into the darkest city I can think of, and we're going to just set ourselves on fire. And if, yeah, and we're just going to let God do what he does. So. Um, um, part of church planting is that um, I, it, it has to start somewhere. And um, our core group doesn't know that I'm going to ask you to do this, but if you were here at the beginning of our church when we would meet over in a classroom in Indiana Wesleyan, you were part of the core group, will you just stand up right where you're at right now? Just stand up right where you're at. I just want our church to see this. There's, there's always a beginning. Like a, a church has to start somewhere. And I just look at, keep standing, just keep standing just for a second. And you can just look around this room. And I'm, I'm setting up what I'm about to say. I see Josh back there, moved up here from Cincinnati. And the Clarks over here moved from Fort Wayne. And Team Wingles back in the sound booth moved from Palos Heights, Illinois. And I'm missing others that moved. Um, I've been praying all week as CB shared what they're about to do. Cork, if you can sit down. That the Spirit of God, as we close here today, would whisper into some ears, we are supposed to move to Denver, like into the city, and be a part of this. And I'm praying that as the Spirit of God puts that on your heart, like the Wingle story back there, who the Holy Spirit whispers that into one of their ears, and they're like, the other, one, the, the other one's going to think I'm crazy. And I forgot how it goes, but one of you told the other one, and the other one goes, I know. Because the Spirit is a spirit of unity. And um, as we close our time out here today by saying, guess what? This kind of work is still going on, and it's going to go on until Jesus comes back here and establishes his rule and reign. But guess what? We are part of the people who carry the light of Jesus inside of us. And if there's some people who are living right here on the south side of India who've been going, what do you want me to do, Lord? I sense you're wanting me to do. I believe in here today that emails or calls will come in this week and say, hey, I think we're supposed to move to Denver can I get that CB guy's number? And I'm not asking for an emotional response that's just like, let's go. I'm asking for that deep down inside your heart, the spirit of God leading some of us. And guess what? We will send you out here with triumphant joy as you go to be a part of the work of Beacon to see this downtown of Denver transformed. Amen? And so, Harvest, if you would, stand to your feet right now. And... Um, um, if you're comfortable with this, I'm going to pray over CB and over 
the work um, that God is calling them to at Beacon. And if you're comfortable, to just extend your arm out with me as a symbol of joining me in this prayer as we pray over them and commission the work God is calling them to. Father God, as CB has just said, Lord, we know that darkness permeates this earth, but Lord, you are light. You are light. You shine in the darkness and you shine brightest in the darkness. And so, God, I pray right now over CB and over his family. Lord, would you guard them? Would you guard their heart, Lord? Lord, would you put in them just a heart of purity that just, that just more than they want to see a successful church, they just want to walk with you in intimate, abiding relationship, Lord. And out of that, Lord, will come this ministry that you've called them to of testifying to the good news of the gospel in Denver's downtown. Lord, it is no accident what you've called CB out of and what you're calling him into. And God, we pray, would you bless them? Would you make your face shine upon them, Lord? Would you use them? Them, that your name would radiate out from Denver's downtown, the Mile High City, all over our country and all over the world. And God, would you do a great work for your glory through these people. Lord, no church has been able to keep a stronghold in downtown Denver. Lord, it, it, it'll be hard work. It'll be tiring at times. Would you make beacon, that church that just begins to gain ground for your glory there. God, we pray that in the bold and powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Harvest, will you thank CB for being with us one more time? And as we, uh, as we send you out here today by telling you that we love you and that we send you, I'm just praying that as you pray this week, the Spirit of God may lead any of you called to be sent people to Denver to be obedient in that harvest. We love you and we send you. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.